Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you here. It's always wonderful to worship together as a church family. Now, can you believe it? It's already March. Uh, the year seems to be passing by really quickly. And March is a very special month for some of us. And do you know why? Well, it happens to be the birthday month for six of us on staff. So in the next few weeks, we're going to have plenty of birthday cake at our meetings to celebrate. And on the topic of life celebrations, I understand last week, Pastor Eric and his wife Pam had their 27th anniversary. Now, are there any other couples here who have their anniversaries? I think there's some back there. So why don't we give them all a hand for this great milestone in life. <laughs> well, for my wife and me, this year will be our 30th, 35th anniversary. And if you recall, I mentioned last week that when we started dating, we went on fishing trips. And just to prove that we actually did that, I brought a picture. That's us. I know Terry looks the same, but believe it or not, that is me. And it was a little embarrassing because I realized back in the day, we used to wear short shorts. <laughs> so I'm not in my underwear there. <laughs> now, on a more serious note, after dating for two years, we eventually got married. And I brought another photo from our ceremony where we are saying our vows before God and our witnesses in holy matrimony. I think some of you may have been actually there. Now, marriage is an example of a covenantal relationship. When a couple fall in love and decide to get married, they often pledge together to be together till death do we part. And after the ceremony, the married couple begins a lifelong sharing of common purpose, planning a home together, building a family, and living life as one. Well, God also loves us very much, and he wants to share life and his plan with us too. Not just for till death do we part, but actually for an eternity. And this week in our sermon series, God's Blueprint for Transformation, God told Moses what he wanted for the Israelites to become. And when Moses told the Israelites what God's plan was to transform them, the Israelites, just like the wedding couple saying to each other, I do, the Israelites responded by saying, we do. Remember, a church is not a building, but the people. And God wants to have a covenantal relationship with his people. We are currently in a sermon series called God's Blueprint for Transformation. And during this series, we are asking this very simple question. What does it look like to be transformed people who know God? We are in the book of Exodus, where we see how God was transforming the Israelites that he just released from slavery in Egypt to be his people again. And this morning, we will pick up in Exodus 19, and I'm going to begin reading for you Exodus 19, beginning with verse 1 to 14. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. 
After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Your, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on the day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And I'm going to skip down to verse 14. After Moses had gone down from the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. And that is the word of the Lord. So before we look closer at these scripture verses, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we hear your word this day, may you have your way with us. You are the potter, and we are the clay. Mold us into the people you want us to be. Heal us, mend us, renew us, for there are new mercies every morning. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who if we choose to call him Lord, we will be transformed by the Holy Spirit into his likeness. May that be the true desires of our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. I pray this in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen. In this passage from Exodus 19, the first thing I want us to see is that God makes covenants with his people. And we see this in verse 5, where the concept of covenant is introduced. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. A covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make a binding promises to each other. Now, I, I probably, if I asked any of you, the word or concept of covenant is not something that's normal or natural in our daily lives or our conversations. Actually, we probably know more about contracts than covenants. Some of you are thinking, so what is the difference between a contract and a covenant? With a contract, if one agreeing party does something in violation of the contract, then it's considered broken. The whole contract becomes null and void. Basically, the signers of a contract agree to hold up their ends as long as the other party hold up theirs too. With a covenant... 
Generally, both parties agree to hold up their ends regardless of whether the other party keeps their part of the agreement. A violation of a covenant by one party doesn't matter as far as the other party's responsibility to continue to do what they agreed to do. A contract is more transactional in nature. I will scratch your back as you scratch my back. Quid pro quo. A covenant, on the other hand, is more personal in nature and based on relationship and not business and often entails some sort of willingness to sacrifice, especially when the other party is not holding up their end of the bargain. In the Bible, there are many different kinds of covenants that God makes with his people. And for our sake this morning, I'm basically going to boil it down to three types. There are covenants that are general, there are covenants that are unconditional, and there are covenants that are conditional. Three very simple kinds of covenants. To illustrate, Adam in the creation story and Noah from the great flood were given general covenants from God. These general covenants benefited everyone on earth, not just for one specific group in particular, and regardless of if the people had a binding relationship with God. It didn't matter. If you believed in God or not believed in God, you received benefits from a general covenant. In the case of Noah's covenant, after the flood that wiped out pretty much all humankind, God promised not to do that again and to preserve all mankind to his redemption plan was fulfilled. And if you recall, the symbol of that covenant is the rainbow. Everyone on earth received God's grace and mercy. That's a general covenant. Later, God made this covenant with Abraham, which was an unconditional covenant. God told Abraham he would make his name great and his descendants into a great nation. Nowhere in this covenant, nowhere in this promise was there a condition whereby Abraham could forfeit the universal blessings God had promised. As long as you were a descendant of Abraham, you were good with that unconditional covenant. So there's general covenants and unconditional covenants. Here in Exodus 19, we see God give the third kind, a conditional covenant with the people of Israel through Moses. In verse 5, God said to Moses and the Israelites, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. This particular covenant was specifically to the nation of Israel to be God's treasured possession, only to them above all other nations. But different from the one with Abraham, this covenant had a condition. condition. The Israelites had to be obedient to God and to uphold the covenant represented by the Ten Commandments. As we all know today, as Monday morning quarterbacks, it's very hard to be perfect in our obedience. To be compliant is very difficult for people who are not perfect. Therefore, this conditional 
covenant was temporary for obvious reasons, and it's not for all people. This covenant with Israel had a built-in obsolescence. It was doomed to fail from the get-go. The Israelites would inevitably disobey God, implying obviously there was no real heart transformation as they heard the covenant demands. And even though they said we do in verse 8, they failed miserably. But thankfully, God gave us another covenant, and that's the new covenant through his son Jesus. And this new covenant promised that God will forgive sin and have a close, unbroken relationship with his people. And this covenant is the fulfillment of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Because Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. And in turn, we are descendants of Abraham by faith. By faith in Jesus. All of God's promises are based on who he is and his plan for the world. Under the new covenant, which Jesus sealed with his own blood, everyone is offered salvation by grace through faith. So this new covenant is a general covenant because everyone can benefit from it. And we celebrate this new covenant when we have communion together, which we will do later this morning in our service. And Jesus told us in Matthew 26, verse 28, when he took the cup, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. God's plan is to save the world through the sacrifice of his son, and, and he, his only son, died for our sins. Acts 2, verse 21 says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we are saved for a purpose. And that purpose from God is found in verse 6. Verse 6 says, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Here, there are two things that God told the Israelites. First, they were to be a kingdom of priests, and second, to be a holy nation. Now, scholars think that the Israelites were in Egypt for over 400 years. And that was the time when, if you are familiar with the story in Genesis, Jacob left the Israel of Jerusalem to go into Egypt because of a severe famine to join his son, um, Joseph, who was serving Pharaoh. But the Israelites, while they were in Egypt, lost their identity as people of God while they were living there in Egypt. They took on the customs and practices of their foreign host, and upon their release from Egypt at the foot of Mount Sinai, God had to remind them who they were, and their purpose. So you're wondering, how does that apply to us today? Well, for me, it is providential that like the Israelites in Exodus 19 at the foot of Mount Sinai, after God released them from captivity, we are here on Mountain Boulevard below these hills after God moved us from our previous location. The Apostle Paul repeated this description for us 
for us that call ourselves followers of Jesus. In 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we are to be priests. We are supposed to be a holy nation. So what do priests do? And I'm going to kind of boil it down. Priests do a whole lot of things, but I'm going to boil it down to one basic thing for us this morning. Basically, priests prepare people to come into the presence of God. As transformed people for Christ, we are given the task to help people find God and to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. This is not a responsibility only for pastors, but for everyone who are followers of Jesus. Our church is named Christian Layman Church, not Christian Pastor Church. The church was founded on a principle that ministry was not for a select few, but for all the people who call themselves Christian. Hence, Layman. A question for all of us to think about, to look into our lives, and to be seriously thinking how we are priest-like in our lives. How are you preparing in your circles of relationships to meet God in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces? Wherever you go, are you preparing people to meet God? How ready are you to share the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ in your life? Also from verse 6, we are not alone with this responsibility to help people come into the presence of God. The words kingdom and nation imply a plurality of being part of a larger people group. That we are citizens of a nation and a kingdom where Jesus is the ruler and king. So how are we as a church, corporately, prepared to help others come into the presence of God? That's a good question. It's a good challenge and a good reminder for us. And, and I came up with a couple examples, and maybe this will help us understand how we can help others to come and meet God. Earlier, we mentioned our church retreat. That's going to be here. You've heard about staycations where we're having a stay retreat. And this is a wonderful time on April 28th to the 30th that this being our new home here at Mountain Boulevard, this year we will come and have our retreat sessions here. And obviously you can then go home and rest between the sessions. And here's something that was uh, written up by our staff for this retreat, describing what's going to happen, that this will be a time where we can worship. We focus our hearts and minds toward God and praising his holy name. We will be filled with encouragement and love through the fellowship of Christian community and be still in God's presence, resting in the security of his grace and engaging in intentional spaces of prayer, solitude, meditation of his word, and joyful celebration. 
the hope for CLC this year is for us to become transformed people that truly know our Heavenly Father. We want to intentionally become disciples of Jesus who learn how to live in the abundance of his kingdom and be transformed into the likeness of Christ. At this year's short all-church retreat, we invite you to come and do just that. And, and there will be a few surprises uh, at all of our retreats, and so I hope you will come and experience God together. And one I'm excited about, Pastor Ben is inviting his friends from Southern California. A Korean-American Christian gospel praise band is coming, undignified. You can check them out on YouTube, and they're very good. And also, we'll have fun and games, and of course, we'll always have good food. And I understand Art is going to be cooking one of the dinners, so that'll be great to experience. So I hope you will come, and as fellow priests, that we will be able to help each other to experience God. A second example is with our new home here, we have decided as a staff to host other Asian American pastors and ministry leaders in the East Bay once a quarter for encouragement and support. Serving in churches is hard and often lonely. The burden to lead people into the presence of God can be taxing, especially in environments where the reputation for being a follower of Jesus is not very good. And even within the church, the reputation of the church can be not good. God's church is perfect, but people are not. And we hope that we can help Christian leaders find our church home as a safe place to encounter God and be healed, renewed, and transformed. That's our purpose as a priesthood. Lastly, verse 6 says, we are to be holy. To be holy is to be set apart, to be different from the world. To be holy means God needs us to be consecrated. And we see this in verses 10 and 14. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes. And this is also repeated in verse 14. So what does it mean to be consecrated? What is consecration? To consecrate means to dedicate to a higher purpose, to make sacred, set apart for the service and worship of God, to promise to give time and attention to God to be holy. And why is it important to be consecrated? What's the significance? This is a basic concept to understand. It's so we can meet God and God can meet with us. Unless we are consecrated, that cannot happen. We get a hint from verse 10, verse 14, what consecration means how we can then meet with God and God meet with us. The Israelites were told to wash their clothes. Apparently, washing is connected with being consecrated. It's something to do with being clean. 
Now, some of you know I love to go camping. Some of you love to go camping too. And when you go camping, it's very dusty, very dirty, and during the time when you're camping, you don't actually realize it, how grimy you are. But until you get home and you take that hot shower and you jump into bed and crawl under your clean sheets and bed, it feels so good, right? God is holy and perfect. God is clean. We are dirty. Like oil and water, both cannot mix. We cannot be with God unless we are washed by consecration and made holy. That's why we need Jesus. Now, I have a little demonstration here. I'm not sure if all of you can be able to see it from where you're seated. But you see, I have this container here, and it has clean, pure water. And the water represents how God intended us to be, clean and holy. But unfortunately, sin entered into the world due to our, the ways of the world and also because of our own pridefulness. We have sin on us. We become dirty. And this pepper, this black pepper, represents sin. So you can see now the water is not clean. It's dirty by the black pepper. But God had a plan. He had a purpose to solve this issue. And that is Jesus. Jesus loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So Jesus entered into the world just like this soap to cleanse us. As you can see, the pepper is being dispelled by the soap, by Jesus. And that's what Jesus does. When we ask him to come into us, he dispels the sin that is in us. With Jesus as our Lord, he will begin the process of making us change people from the inside out. We are consecrated by his righteousness and not ours. And true change begins with transformation. It is a process, a lifelong journey, and doesn't happen overnight and can only be done with the help of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we learned that the transformation begins by being still to know that God is in control. Today, my invitation to you is that God's blueprint for transformation is to be consecrated for his purpose. Like a couple at their wedding, who say I do when they covenant to be married. Can we as a church say we do when God invites us to be consecrated? If consecration is a regular intentional lifestyle, how can we do that? How do we incorporate that into our daily routines? Well, one way, it's not prescriptive, but descriptive of the process as we have been emphasizing in this season, is to practice the spiritual disciplines 
in our regular routines. And I know you're all busy people, and you're all wondering and imagining, how can I squeeze anything more into my seemingly full schedules? So this is only for those who are interested to apply what we are learning this morning. Here are a couple of my suggestions for those overachievers who want to try to do extra credit. Uh, one suggestion I have is to read and meditate on 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 12. I read one of the verses there earlier about being a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Read that context, that verse in the context of that passage. Reflect on it, meditate on it, and be consecrated by the word of God that helps cleanse us from the influences in the world. What do you hear as you read this passage from God that may apply to you? Now, a second way to, to apply um, this morning's message in your lives, practice the discipline, the spiritual discipline of confession as an act of consecration. Confess to God your sins, your brokenness, your failings, and pray for forgiveness. I believe this is something we often don't do in our prayer time. We often jump to to asking God for things. But before we can have God meet us and us meet with God, we need to be clean, to be consecrated. And it starts by confessing and by the Holy Spirit. God will forgive us and bless us with his presence. And possibly in this time with God, he brings to mind someone you need to forgive. In a moment, Pastor Eric will lead us in communion. So I want to just close this particular time with a word of prayer, and may you be blessed this week. So let's pray. Good, gracious Father, I pray for each person here and those who are hearing my voice streaming online to say I do to your invitation to be in a covenantal relationship with you and begin the process of consecration for your purpose through the help of the Holy Spirit. We are imperfect people, but you are a perfect God. Help us to experience the joy and peace of being transformed people that truly know the Heavenly Father. As your changed people, may we bring glory to your name as the world sees us as your true disciples. Be blessed for coming. And pray this in the name of the, and I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm.